wait, and wait. And baby, I'm TFC till I die. Hello and welcome back to another Toronto Till I Die, the Toronto FC fan show. I'm Mike Newell, and like the 2023 version of Toronto FC, <laughs> we can sub in new players and be defensively solid. But the real question is, can we plot a way to goal without a regular starter? As you can notice, it is just myself and Jeffrey P. Nesker uh, this week. Mike Singh is on a beach somewhere enjoying life. So uh, hopefully he has a great <laughs> Living his best life. Yeah, yeah we're yeah, hoping yeah. for a special guest to join us. Uh, we'll see if they're able to make it. So stay tuned. Special guest that. is here. Why don't oh, we bring right, him awesome. the special Special guest. Bring in there we guest. go. And everybody, gonna... welcome. Uh, so, Jeffrey P. Nasker, Michael Singh, and uh, friend of the show, WTR regular contributor, Chris Fung, joining us as well. Chris, how you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Nice. For, no problem. for a second, I was worried because I prepared almost no notes because when we have Chris Fung on, I get to like drink a beer and listen to like hardcore hashtag analysis. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We will definitely uh, have. We didn't have to accommodate for it. Yeah, (laughs) we're definitely going to have that. Uh, We will be recapping uh, on today's show. Toronto FC's nil-nil draw away to Nashville this past weekend. A bit of a snoozer, uh, but at the same time, uh, we there are some things to pick out of that game that we think are important heading forward. Uh, Is it one win in seven? Um, Are we okay with this? Uh, This is something we'll talk about as well. Insigne should be back this weekend close. Uh, yeah air quotes if you're listening to the podcast version of this um mm. this weekend against atlanta but we will see but does he really fix the things that are ailing toronto fc in the attack and we will get to this week's burning question in which we ask simply how do you feel about the start of the season do you see it as one win in seven or six unbeaten. We'll get some reactions to that. But let's lots to dig in. Let's get into it. Jeff, Chris, before we get into the show itself, how was your long weekend? How did you enjoy it? Chris, we'll go. I'll with let you. Chris go first. Yeah. yeah. Long weekend was great. Spent a lot of time with family. Ended up my niece dragged me out to the Super Mario Brothers movie. Ooh. Oh, how was it? Did you like it? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> the, yeah. the, ki- the kids loved it. Mm, mm. I feel like it That's... captures the attention span of that TikTok audience uh, generation that we have nowadays. So, no, oh, no, they, That's they a, absolutely it's very... loved it. It was nostalgic in some ways, but in other ways, it it just kind of lacked from uh, from a storytelling perspective. There's a lot more they probably could have done. They're trying to cram in as much as they possibly could, mm. and to do it in an hour and a half, it was probably didn't do the movie justice. But the animation was great. Well, Turtz McGurtz is saying the painting that you've got behind you in your room is also great. Um, maybe we'll do some uh, some some art uh, book. Yeah, book high art on this week's <laughs> Toronto Till I Die. Uh, An art you odyssey. Flavors, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a long weekend. I'm I'm sure Chris can attest. I think my blood pressure has gone down a little bit from that nil nil draw. Uh, Liverpool, but uh, uh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm, I'm, I'm putting that in my back pocket because I'm way too tense about it right now. So let's talk about a team that I have to talk about that's underperforming. Can, can we just get one thing? Mike, as a United fan, are you hoping for City to win the title? Of course he is. 
no comment. <laughs> um, no, uh, no, of course not. Uh, you know what? Like at this point, like yeah, let Arsenal win. I think Arsenal have been the best. Oh, team. let, they, let they Arsenal deserve, win. They well deserve um, to win the league and deserve it. Um, if City pip it at the end, um, I think that's kind of it, it, it's kind of it's going to take the luster off what has been actually a pretty decent season. Um, you know, watching Arsenal do what they do, uh, so it, it, they would well deserve to win the league, and that's kind of who I would pull for um and i use that term you heard it here first loosely um mm. but uh yeah we'll see how it how it runs out i i really do think arsenal will take it but you know we'll see we'll see how it all goes down at the end um th- that was part of my weekend uh obviously watching tfc nil nil was uh was you know nearly put me to sleep but at the same time uh it didn't turn over to the blue jays and watch them absolutely drop one uh to the angels but yesterday that was the blood pressure raiser because mm-hmm. it was wild if you watched uh, the jays angels game last night or yesterday afternoon i should say uh, i did both was, was you did both i thought i was gonna die after the second game <laughs> yeah <laughs> so and- so are you like I mean, we're talking about a team in a title challenge right now versus a team, forget about the baseball soccer thing, versus a team that's what, six, seven games into like a 400 million game season. <laughs> there's no way that you could have been as stressed out as I was. I don't I don't mean to pull rank, but I'm just saying there's absolutely okay. no way that the stakes were as high for that. Hey, man. Just let mm-hmm. me clarify, though. My blood mm-hmm. pressure was already up here from watching <laughs> yeah. the Arsenal game. It was like I watched 1917 in the theaters all over again. Yeah, it was like and- I was in it. I was in 1917. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I mm-hmm. had to experience another thing that was like, "Why are you doing this to your body again?" It was like going through sports all over again. So sports, sports. it's sports, it were crazy, sports. but but sports, 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 sports. Um, lead us, lead us, Mike. Lead yeah, us into absolutely. this. Absolutely. All right. So you didn't necessarily come for movie corner or my takes on the the six and four Toronto Blue Jays. Um, we are digging into Toronto FC's nil nil draw against uh, Nashville in Nashville. Uh, shout out to the TFC fans that made it out to Nashville. I saw absolutely posts, um, from Kings and North, from Red Patch, uh, from U Sector, uh, from Block One Fourteen. A lot of people getting out to Nashville and seeming to have a great time. Um, Except at the Waffle House, they hated the Waffle House. Yes, I heard they hated the Waffle House. But <laughs> that said. Um, unfortunately, your team was not able to give you the same entertainment that you probably gave yourselves in the stands. Uh, so first, before we get into sort of all the bullet points and the notes of the game, I uh, wanted to get your impressions on what was, in my opinion, a pretty dull game. A lot of people think thought the same way, but you know, what did you guys take out of it? Chris, uh, you're a tactical genius guru here, so we'll let you go first. Get into it a bit more when we get into the actual segments. But Mm -hmm. I thought it was very interesting that Nashville sat back. If you actually Mm. looked at them throughout most of the game, they didn't press TFC very high up the pitch to force our center backs and back line into the same mistakes. It helps that the wind wasn't a factor. I think as we saw, they were able to actually clear the halfway line of the pitch. Mm -hmm. Um, But Nashville sat back quite a bit, which is very interesting because I haven't seen many teams do that against TFC this year, bar Inter-Miami. So that was one thing that I noticed. But generally, TFC had more possession on the road in Nashville against a team that's doing very well in the league. Plus, we also got to see they had more chances. They actually dominated, not dominated, they beat Nashville in the XG battle. Hmm. They created more chances. They were more dangerous. It was very interesting. It was probably the last thing I was expecting. I was almost expecting a bit more of the Atlanta United game when we're on the road. So... I think there's some good things that uh, are developing and there's probably a lot more that we still need to fix. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, full disclosure, I was actually at a concert at the Garrison and uh, I haven't watched the recap yet. So I, I've watched bits and pieces, but I mean, they, they they played that game for like, what, a grand total of 15 seconds on the on the wrap up show because nil nil draw. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I uh, listen that, you know, the thing the thing that my takeaway from this is, is all the takes that are saying this game specifically was like a, was, was a, what sort of undervaluing this road point. Nashville is a tough place to go play in, you know, way games are tough to get all three points in. So outside of the context as this seems to be sort of like our modus operandi right now in micro, this is a great result. This is an absolutely great result. I did a podcast hit uh, for a Nashville uh, blog and, you know, I had to defend their takes that Nashville was going to win like 17 to nothing. You know what I mean? So, so generally speaking, I, I, I think that we, we should really be harping on some of the positives here. And I'm, I'm pleased that Chris is doing that. For sure. And I think, you know, watching the game though, uh, I felt it was a little bit of a, a snooze fest at the same time. There are a lot of, there are positives to take out of this game, right? I think there are positives in terms of, I think the first half was especially the first sort of 10 minutes um, were a bit rough for TFC. Uh, I thought they were giving the ball away quite cheaply. Um, this is a common theme that we come back to again and again um, with TFC and starts to games. They tend not to start very well uh, and then sort of have to build themselves into the game. And I felt that's what they did um, in this Nashville game. I thought they started the first 10 minutes were rough. Then it kind of got a little, it got a little mid blocky. Uh, it sort of mm-hmm. going going into halftime, uh, and, and there was a lot of sort of midfield battles, and no one was clearly going one way or the other. The second half was a marked difference, I think. I think TFC were much better in the second half. I thought their their ideas around what they wanted to do with the ball were a lot clearer. It also helps that you probably got the best performance from Mark Anthony K mm. um, this season. And you could tell that once he was, he, he felt a lot more comfortable on the ball. Um, he was making very good decisions with the ball, especially in the second half. And it was putting TFC in dangerous positions. And I think also the other thing before we get to some of the bullet points here is I thought that mm-hmm. they did a better job of getting Federico Bernadeschi, Berneski. Ugh, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep doing that until I get it's it. Awesome. Right. It's going to we'll get you a shot caller. Yeah, I know. Um, it, getting him into better positions with the ball and um, not leaving him in positions where he necessarily is, you know, trying to get trapped in corners that he put himself into some of those positions with a little bit of over dribbling, but, you know, getting him on the run, getting him running at uh, defenders is sort of the best uh, Federico Bernadeschi you can get. And, you know, that bodes well for TFC. That said, still didn't score a goal. Uh, and got chances, didn't score. And that is sort of the thing that we're going to keep kind of coming back to week after week until we either find a consistent goal scorer or find a consistent way to score goals through different means, whether it's late runs in the box from the midfield or things like that. Uh, so just going into the game, you know, uh, you know, we're, I think we're still waiting for a full 90 minute yeah, I, that's the team. Fair. I think my Inter Miami was the closest. Obviously, it's a win, so it's, it's easier to say that. But just wanted to get your thoughts on that, guys. Like, you know, when, like, what do you like? When do you think we're going to be seeing a ninety-minute kind of solid performance from this team? Is it with Lorenzo coming back? Do you think we need to think about shifts in the way that we play in order to get that full ninety? Um, because right now it feels like we're playing in starts and stops throughout matches. 
and it might be costing us points. What do you guys think? I have no idea. I mean, if I knew I would be, I'd be a soccer coach, right? Um, This, this pervasive starting, you know, starting slow 10 minutes, you know, the, the, the rational person in me wants to go, well, it's an away game, right? So it's not their barn. Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's an awkward preparation. There may be some jet lag time differences, all the MLSE things that make MLS MLS, but we have those issues when we're playing in our barn. Uh, You know, is it, to, I mean, these are all questions that that we've asked over and over again. But but just to go just to go full circle, I don't I don't have the answer. And will we see it? I mean, when we introduce, just to answer your second question, because I know Chris is champing at the bit here. But you know, when we see Insigne come back, I think that's totally unfair to expect it to click immediately because we're giving all of this patience for these guys to click without him. So to expect him to come back in, plug and play, I think that's that's a folly. So I would say. Despite me not knowing, it's not going to happen anytime soon. We still have to bring Insignia back into the uh, into the mix and allow for all of that to sort of coalesce. I think you're right, Jeff. I think the first the first part is definitely having everyone healthy. The starting eleven, like your preferred eleven, familiar with one another, understanding the patterns of play, really gelling into the new defensive structure that Bob Bradley set forth. But then also, I think the next part is how do we become a more fluid free-flowing attacking team, similar to the teams that we saw Bob Bradley manage at LAFC, mm-hmm. right? We, we know he can do it in this league. I know people love to hate on Bob Bradley, but he's done it before. If mm-hmm. he has the pieces that know the system and want to play in that system and with each other, it can happen. Will it happen? I don't know. But I do want to touch on a second point, which is, I think, managing the big moments in games. Mm-hmm. That's sometimes where we see Bob Bradley and the team fall short. So whether it's coming out of half, it's the last 10 minutes of a game, it's the first 10 minutes of a game, it takes time for that team to really settle down and settle in. And that's purely coaching. You have your pregame talk, Mm -hmm. your halftime talk, which are two moments, If and I I hate doing this, but if you compare to someone like Mikel Arteta and what he's done at Arsenal, that team comes flying out the gates right away. They're on the front foot, and that's when they score most of their goals. I think they're outscoring (laughs) their opposition by... I think anywhere from 10 to 12 goals, like just if you look at their stats wow. from the first 10 minutes of a game and right after half. Toronto FC, not at all. No. I, I think we concede most of our goals late. We often concede our goals within right after half. And hmm. we score our goals either sometime 15 minutes after a half, a half has started. So we're having trouble managing those big moments in a game. So and- if you could, if I could ask just, just before we move on, you know, let's play pretend what do you think it is like is it that they're all eating timbits and and like having like like you know what i mean like is it some what would you suggest is the reason like is it the team talks are too loose or everybody goes off and does like because to me that seems like something you can action like that's an actionable item and the fact that it hasn't been addressed yet is monumental concern I think it's a good question. I don't actually have the answer for that. I'm, well, no one would. I'm just, uh, you know, guessing. I, yeah. I feel like part of it has to be that the team is prepared for the game, but there might be slight adjustments that weren't accounted for. So part of it has to be preparation. Mm. I think the players are kind of trying to feel out what the opponents are going to do in that first five minutes instead of being the aggressors and actually bringing the game to the opposition. So, wow. I think it's confidence. That's part of it is confidence knowing that we can play our way. And what, what I saw in the Nashville game was actually perhaps the beginnings of that, where we're not necessarily starting off right, but 
they had control for most of that game. Even mm-hmm. though Nashville, like, they're at home, they went, they played their game, it took them a while to get into the game, but that might also be the configuration of who you have on the pitch at any given point mm. in time. I think um, midfield, like, just depth in general is another piece that flows into it. If you have more depth, more people that Bob Bradley trusts, you can actually strategically use your subs so that hmm. tired legs aren't a part of it either. But that's not an excuse for the beginning half of the game. I think if we're going to go a bit further, though, there are some other aspects. It takes time for the evolution of a team to actually fully gel to a coach's vision. So last year, trying to move that out of my mind as much as possible. But what we <laughs> saw was he inherited a lot of pieces. So hmm. like the ent- defense was entirely new. They didn't know how to play it with each other. They were conceding goals, leaking goals nonstop. So what did Bob Bradley do this year? He's fixed the defense. That's kind of the first thing. Upgrades and pieces, but the team as a whole is starting to understand how to properly defend in any given situation. There's still a lot of work to do, but that's kind of the natural first evolution when a manager comes in. If they didn't inherit good defensive pieces already, first phase, provide the defensive structure. Once you have the defensive structure, then you look, what's the next way that we can control games? I just wrote part one of an article on. I was about to ask you about that. Yeah. It's a corker. Have you read it? Did you read the sneak preview? I did. I, I, oh, nice. Nice one. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. So, in as few words as possible, the way that you're going to control games, you're looking at three key things. The first is in part one of my article that I had written about, which is really how do you play out from the back? Getting your players familiar with the system where you're playing out from the back is going to help you control games. Ultimately, because it gives you control of the ball, you're not sending the ball in the air where it's a 50-50 chance where anyone can win the possession. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing is not only allowing your team to keep possession, you're, allow- you're allowing yourself to draw on the opposition press so that you can actually bypass that press with strategic passes, positional play. You're going to need a high level of technical uh, intelligence and ability from the players who actually are playing a high level of understanding of positional play. So understanding all the different zones in the field and where your teammates are going to be at any given point in time. And then understanding and trusting your teammates to make those passes and playing those passes under pressure when the opponent is pressing you. So that's kind of the first phase. The second phase is understanding once you have control of the game and you've actually pushed the ball upfield, if you lose the ball at any given point in time, this is something TFC really struggle with is what does your rest defense look like? (laughs) So the rest defense actually comes from a German word, which is restitigen, I think, Mm -hmm. is my German. And what it really translates to is rest defense. So uh, vertigen is defense. Rest not being the North American rest. It's actually talking about when you're in the attacking phase of play, if you lose possession of the ball, all the players who are not actively part of the attack are your leftover players or rest in German. Mm. So what is the structure and tactics for that rest defense? You've seen it time and time again. We have a lot of trouble with transition. So to get back to your initial question, why are we struggling to control games early? We don't trust our rest defense. We Mm. don't trust our ability to play out from the back. So our ability to actually control games right off the get-go, we're nervous. We're still adjusting to a new system. And then the third piece of it is the attack is all out of sorts. Mm. Mainly because we don't have a number nine who's providing that pivot that Brad, Bob Bradley really loves within his offensive system. 
you have new players playing different positions. Osorio's playing out wide. You've got sometimes Jaquil Mashoretti at right back. You have different pieces. Mark Anthony K started, started further upfield. He's dropped further back into a double pivot with Michael Bradley. So you kind of have these moving pieces. They're still trying to understand their roles in different tweaks to the tactical system. And you're missing that pivot up top that Bradley loves to play with in that zone 14, which is right in the heart of Mm -hmm. the opponents, just above the penalty box. Sorry, Mike, I know you're going to jump in. No, well, it it was, and that's great, right? Because like, that's sort of the the tactical mouse that we need to understand in terms of pushing this conversation forward from TFC from, well, they're just drawing nil-nil and we don't really understand why to, why some of these things are happening. And Mm -hmm, one mm -hmm. of the things that, you know, I, I was interested and curious about from your perspective, Chris, is, you know, when they come out of the gates in those first 10 minutes of, of matches, you mentioned that it's adjusting to a new system, adjusting to sort of where everybody's going to be playing on the pitch. Is that the team not fully understanding what's being asked of them at, at times? Or is that somebody get stepping out of position and that throws the entire shape off and therefore that's a great question you're, you're kind of all over the place and it's hard to get back to that um quickly what do you like just in terms of your thought on that what do you think two things so you still got new players adjusting to a new team i, I mean mm-hmm. you're probably gonna get tired of hearing me say this over and over again but you're but it's the truth another yeah. five new players that they all have to learn where the other players are going to be and trust at any given point in time and mm-hmm. I think there was a comment that says that we're good from paint playing out from the back. We actually aren't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to address that, no, but I was letting you roll. I'm just letting you roll. They're that, working yeah. on it. They're yeah. doing it yeah. every they're game. Working you see on it. John, Sean Johnson get the ball, but it doesn't look, they don't look fully comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. So, and even from, so I test, I think I agree with you guys. And I think everyone agrees with that. But if you actually look at the uh, statistical profile of our players, the pass accuracy of our center backs and deeper lying central midfielders they're below, like they're in the bottom uh, 25 percentile of MLS for pass accuracy, even worse for progressive passes. What you're seeing a lot of, if you're actually looking, watching the games very carefully, is Sean Johnson often has to clear the ball yeah, he has to and tell it. his yeah. teams. It, yeah. When they're trying to play out from the back, even against Nashville, you saw it. They were set up in their system, but if Nashville pushed a little bit further, Sean Johnson yeah. would wave the team further up. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mike, to answer your second question though, we are seeing breakdowns in the system. So as TFC tries to set up, and I know specifically in the Inter-Miami game, Raul Petretta and uh, I think it was Richie Larea the week after, um, both of them, when they were both playing on that left side, uh, Richie against Charlotte, Petretta against Inter-Miami, as soon as they lost the ball, both that left side usually inverts a bit in Bob Bradley's system. You'll right. notice that there's less attacking news from that side without Lorenzo mm-hmm. Insigne. But as soon as the ball is lost on that side, that rest defense gets pulled apart. Yeah. Teams have license to fully run and attack the channels to create that counterattacking chance. So I think TFC's hesitation, learning a new system, integrating new players, and not fully trusting everything that they've been working on yet. The TLDR that I'm taking out of this, which I think is an important point, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you can't judge past it, this whole it's a house of cars this whole thing falls apart if there's one weak link in the chain right so just because player x was got the system for the eye test at date y doesn't mean that player x is going to look great at this other date playing with the new player because it's so interdependent 
on how they play together. So it really is if what if there if one thing falls, then the whole thing goes goes up in flames, which is horrible during a rebuild where you're constant where you're you're constantly in flux. Um, yeah, yeah, Can this is this you? is really eye open. Please, please, that's why yeah. you're here. The yeah. one thing that I would say is the emphasis is on defense right now, keeping mm. clean sheets, yeah. keeping that defensive structure, safe possession. I think he's realized that the team isn't up to snuff yet on actually playing that progressive free-flowing style. But if you can't master the basics there, you're never going to be able to progress. So if we can at least see a trend, which we're seeing, it's not eye-pleasing all the time, but we're Mm -hmm. seeing a trend of defensive performances, the next logical step, and I think, Mike, you might be shifting into this, but adding Lorenzo and Signe back in is probably going to shift a lot in what we do, or at least we hope, because the rest of the system is starting to solidify without him for sure and and definitely we will talk about lorenzo's reinsertion into the lineup in just a moment i wanted to get your thoughts though on um uh on quello and on mark anthony k specifically in this game because i thought both played obviously again no goals in this game but there was so much to take away even from a nil-nil draw in terms of how players were playing positionally and how they were how they were going about it. So just wanted to get really quickly, uh, and Jeff, I will come to you, just really quickly on both players, just in terms of their positioning, uh, Mac in terms of being progressive and moving forward, and also Aquelo in terms of just what the spark he might have brought off the bench coming uh, in, in the second half. Are we sure Jeff's going to be able to... Yeah, I won't. Um, so here's the thing. Are you saying that in a situation where a player can be making a decision to maybe go and attack and get a and get a low uh, frequency shot attempt, they're being drilled right now to abandon that for the sake of defensive solidity. Do you would am I am I would you say that that's happening or I think they're more relying on patterns of play to open up the chance to go forward. So it's almost more predictable right now because they don't have the license to because they want to keep the defensive structure and ability to reset with their rest defense. Does that make sense? So, so then my follow-up question is, is this counterproductive? Like, will this be a bad habit that they have to unlearn when everybody's back and we can try and play in, the, in Bradley Ball? So I, I think for you, Jeff, think about the, art, the evolution of Arteta at Arsenal. Mike's going to okay. hate us from using all the Arsenal examples. I know, I know. But they he played the horseshoe <laughs> of death and they were just passing mm-hmm. the ball around like a donut. They had possession, yep. but they couldn't, they had no penetration into the actual attacking third, right? They struggled mm-hmm. to create chances. That's kind of where I see TFC at right now. They're oh. at this point where they're having trouble progressing the ball because they're worried about the defensive structure. Once they figure out not only their defensive structure, but how they turn, like, move into their rest defense when they're out of possession in the ball in the attacking phase of play. I think what you're going to start to see is now that Mark Anthony K is better to answer Mike's question, mm-hmm. you're seeing a different Mark Anthony K. People were so quick to write him off at the beginning of the year when he came out of the gates and he was very rusty and not playing well. He's our most progressive passer from a deeper lying midfield position. He's the one who's generally going to be getting the ball to your more uh, attacking minded players. But if Mark Anthony K isn't playing well, there's no amount of changes or substitutions or anything that you're going to be able to do to actually allow that to happen. Yeah. In the Inter-Miami game, there was the no-look cross ball that he had to Bernadeschi, who eventually sent in Larea um, yeah. for the cutback to Osorio. But there was another pass other than the game that doesn't get a lot of attention. It was one of those disguised diagonal passes that the best passers in the game in the Premier League, 
uh, La Liga, anywhere in the world can make, it bypasses two to three defenders and completely opens up a team's defensive structure and allows you to go into attack. So without those types of passes and those types of players playing, it's going to be much harder. I'm like, aside from Osorio, there's K. Those are the two players that are making those types of passes. Bradley can occasionally make them, but he's fairly one footed and not great under pressure. Lorenzo Insigne is the other big missing piece. Last year, a lot of our build-up play came from the left and the partnership. It was innate between Crescito and Insigne. The way they moved up field and progressed the ball from the left side didn't matter who else was there, whether it was Kay, Osorio, Nelson. It was fantastic. And that's Hmm. how TFC progressed the ball. So they're just figuring out new ways to play without Insigne, without Crescito, and adapting to everyone else. Mike, are you okay if I go to your point on Coelho? Yeah, please go ahead. Okay. Alonzo Coelho, I've, he's been fantastic. He's different mm-hmm. than any other TFC prospect that we've had in quite some time. There's shades of Jaquiel Marshall running in the sense that he really plays within his own game. We're not seeing a more expressive Jaquiel Marshall running until this season, in my opinion. Yeah. In past seasons, he was very reserved. Um, he wasn't willing to play those forward passes. He would occasionally get into attack, but it was very prescriptive. Like What I noticed from him was that he was really really reserved in his shell he was young he was yeah. playing in a new team yeah. there's a lot of expectations that are weighing on his shoulders it's tough with coelho he's a bit older he's 23 i rewatched some of his tape and i highly recommend if you haven't to to do it there is some okay. clips on youtube uh, of his tfc two season play he's a fantastic player like yeah. he came from spain the academy's there and it's very evident in his play what we yeah. saw in the San Jose game and his sub appearances so far, it probably hasn't told the full picture yet. But what I love about him compared to someone like Jaden Nelson, there's an innate sense of positional play in his game. He is not in the zones that his teammates are in. Yeah. He's keeping it simple. But last game against Nashville, I started to see a bit of that more expressiveness. There was one pass in particular that he made which was a beautiful progressive pass into the right-hand channel to Federico Bernardeschi. Yes. yes. And that sprung the attack that eventually led to a free kick. Those are the types of plays that I think everyone wants to start seeing. Why can't TFC just slice through an opposition defense? It's going to take a player like Coelho to eventually, if he gets more playing time and trust, to be next to a Mark Anthony K for us to start seeing that progressive play that's when you're going to probably start to see a lot more of the open expansive play that we're hoping for but he has that ability so not only is he amazing under pressure like his technical ability is if if you haven't seen it yet Mm -hmm. it's fantastic yeah yeah. he's got that spanish tutelage in him and he is able to play like ping passes anywhere on the field if you think about bradley when he has time on the ball he's able to make those passes ground passes lofted passes like even under pressure He's able to escape under pressure, which is something that we, we've really been missing at TFC. Mm-hmm. Even Mark Anthony K can't make the same kind of types of passes that Co- yeah, I think yeah. Coelho can make. Right. And, and I think that it's going to be an interesting question um, when Insigne comes back. And we'll, we might as well get into it now in terms of uh, Insigne. And we'll come back to sort of like a quick Atlanta preview. But sure, sure. Um, because you're going to have somebody's out of Sylvania or like somebody's going to have to move, right? Somebody's mm-hmm. going to have to drop out of the lineup. You would suspect it's Sylvania. 
Um, and you're probably going to keep the midfield trio of Osorio, Bradley, and Kay. But are there players there making a case for themselves, maybe to either play more minutes or get more starts uh, to to really progress this team? And, and sort of, I guess, how do you start to build that relationship back between Petretta, Insigne, and whoever's going to play on that sort of left side of that midfield three? Probably going to be Mark Anthony Kay, but we'll see. Um, just talk, maybe we should just talk about that in terms of just, you know, inserting Insigne back in the lineup and what that could bring, uh, to this team being progressive and going forward. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I feel like I've been talking a lot. So (laughs) no, no, well, that's the point. (laughs) Okay. So, um, with Insigne coming back, I see two things happening. I, I personally put my best 11 on the field every day of the week. We're okay. not getting performances from our strike position. Doesn't mean that we always won't. It just means that at this point, Kerr and Akinola haven't showed me enough yet to say that we're going to be starting you at striker. So there's probably False two things. Nine? That... Yes. Yes. Mm. False nine. That's exactly mm. where I'm going, Jeffrey. So All right. Either you can play Osorio at, as a false nine, similar to like a Roberto Firmino type role, where he's linking play, dropping deep, and it gets Osorio between our two best players in Mark Anthony, or sorry, in uh, Lorenzo Insigne and Federico Bernadeschi. So mm-hmm. you get him there. And then the other option is that Osorio is already in an attacking midfield position anyway. So pushing him into that kind of false nine role shouldn't be too difficult because what he's going to do is he's going to drag defenses in towards him and it gives him the space in behind for Bernadeschi for Larea, for Insigne, Petretta, anyone to kind of fill that space in behind and to then make those runs. The other uh, thing you could do is push um, Federico inside at striker into a traditional, more traditional striker position hmm. and push Cervania outside if you want to keep your midfield trio of right, Osorio, right. Kay, and um, um, Bradley. But I feel you lose a little bit on that left-hand side, right? If you push Bernadeschi into that nine role like it like it, it in theory makes sense but i feel like you lose a lot in terms of that connection between himself and Larea because you're seeing that develop and build that relationship and that chemistry and it is right now probably our most primary route to goal uh yeah. in the team and I, I i would i am never i'm not the biggest fan of a false nine however i i, I see where at this point this team may, might as well try it uh you know might as I well think, because i yeah i just don't see a solution at the number nine even if diamande comes back healthy i'm not sure that's exactly what this team needs at this moment but i i would hesitate in putting bernadeski in that nine just because of that relationship with Larray. i think it's i think it's something that is sort of brewing as a, a potential consistent route to goal but why are they our outlet right now? Yeah. Well, because yeah. we don't have a <laughs> we don't have a number nine. And you're hoping for a late run from Jonathan Osorio. I get your mm. point. I 100 percent get your we point. We don't have Lorenzo Insigne on the left. True. You yeah. can't balance out the attack, right? So the the school of thought, I think you're right, Mike. Like, but that's why I said my first preference is to actually play Osorio there. I think mm. you need to get Cervania in. He's been playing too well. Like, I know it doesn't show up in the statistical profile, but the amount of work he does that doesn't show up in a statistical profile, which is really the runs that he's making and the interlinking of play, he makes things tick and move forward. So I agree with you. I would keep Bernadeschi and Larea and Insigne and Petretta out on the the flanks because that's where your primary buildup play and offense is likely going to come from. 
Everything in the middle is to get everyone else involved in the play. So Osorio, Max, Cervania, Bradley, they're kind of your engine room. You think of your spine of the team. Mm-hmm. Everything ticks around them. And everything on the outside, they're not the primary creators. They're not the primary people who are looking to, you're generating offense from. You're actually looking at your whip to do that. Yeah. The only yeah. thing that moving Bernadeschi inside on, and this is the thing that's, I guess, annoyed in probably Insigne the most since he's came, come here, the person who's at striker never understands what Insigne is trying to do. Yeah, yeah. So if you put Bernadeschi inside, the chance for that happening is probably a lot higher. Right? Yeah. They've understood and played similar systems. They understand zones of play. They understand what each other wants to do. I think Osorio would do a good job too, though. Yeah, and if you're going... Or Cesc Fabregas. I'm just going to throw that in Well, there. I mean, I he, look, if you're going to talk about just a Roberto Firmino role, a lot of people in the TFC <laughs> fandom will just go sign Roberto Firmino when he becomes... Yeah, a I mean, let's go get him. I don't um, want to talk about Liverpool right now. Yeah, well, yeah, you yeah. know, that, that, will mm-hmm. be, uh, that will be a conversation. But look, I mean, I think... Mm-hmm. You make, you make a good point, Chris, and, and Jeff, I'd love to get just your kind of thought on that. Because, like, you know, we've seen a false nine at TFC before with Alejandro Pozuelo. I know some people loved it. Some people hated it at the time. Again, though, it was born out of more necessity than actual tactical need, right? Like, it was Josie Altador was hurt a lot, and you needed a number nine. They didn't really have anybody, so they put yeah. him there. And it almost wrote us to an MLS Cup win that almost. was one that we probably should not have won. Um, so, I, I mean, not trying to draw those comparisons, but just mm. wanted to get your thoughts, Jeff, on how you feel about a false nine potential. I, I agree with Chris. Uh, you put your best 11 on. Uh, this waiting for someone to get hot in the number nine while our Ferraris overheat and look you know, cut dejected figures out there is not the best. There's a lot of training. Um, it, we're, nothing's happening out there. You know, I think Dio should get a run out because he hasn't had one. But in terms of like, you know, waiting for this magic to happen, uh, I, I, at this point, I, I, I think maybe you tie a bow on that. I, I don't know. I mean, certainly uh, uh, Io was pretty vocal in, in the press uh, recently about wanting to prove people wrong, but that ship may have sailed. I mean, the, the, how many opportunities can you give to, to prove otherwise what, what you're seeing right there in front of you? Um, I mean, to me, I don't like, you know, obviously as a Victor Vasquez stan and now Coelho's, you know, number one fan in the GTA, I understand that their roles are diminished this year. And I understand that, you know, Quello's going to be an impact sub. Like that just seems to be the way the bones are rolling, are rolling for the player in 2023. And he may actually stay, take some minutes from my boy VV. Uh, I'm okay with that. I I agree. I agree. I, I'm going to flip it a little bit um, just because I've, I've been sitting on this for a while. I mean, we opened by talking about this Nashville game. They basically said, press, what's that, right? And looky here, Mark Anthony Kay, who's not very good at close control, gets all this space and has a lights-out game. Should we be worried about this? Because not every team is going to give Mac that kind of space. In fact, 90% of them, 99% of them, are going to take it away from him, right? So it's great that you know he can play against a, a Greece in the Euros, but like... What about the law? You know what I mean? Like, is this is this a false dawn here going? Oh, he's figured it out. I, I tweeted it myself, but I'm, I'm just worried. Come next week, you know, we're playing against Atlanta, who, who definitely know what the press is or God forbid Red Bulls. And Mac looks worse than he did before this but, game. But arguably his 
probably his two or three best games this season have obviously Nashville. His other really good game was actually against Atlanta in that away game. Mm-hmm. He actually wasn't mm-hmm. quite good in that game. Uh, and then you could talk about sort of the, his performance against Inter Miami, but you know, in, in that sense, I think that there could be a. I'm not going to say he's there yet, but you can definitely maybe see a, a bit of a turn of the curve in terms of form, right? And in terms of Definitely. that, in terms of just being able to pick out better passes and maybe be a little bit more confident in progressing the ball himself, in terms of carrying it forward and finding players to play with. And if Insigne is back, I think that makes it a lot easier for him. Confidence right? it, too. It, make, it makes it a lot yeah. simple. You can make that simple forward ball to Insigne and put yourselves in position to start to play. And I think that would help him a lot. I think no one played well against Atlanta. K played well defensively against Atlanta. Yes, yeah. Yes. But like progressing the ball offensively, we really struggled that game. No, like, well, everyone that, did. That was very hard to yeah. watch that game. Yeah. So I think Jeff, you're actually onto something. And I did cover this in my article was of all the did. teams that pressed us high up the pitch and had the athleticism and youth on their side, we struggled against. And that's mm. because our back deeper lying players are not comfortable playing the ball out from the back. You look at Sigurd Roasted, you look at Matt Hedges, you look at the profile of Bradley and Mark Anthony Kay, and like throughout the years, they have their strengths. Playing out from the back is not one of them, except for someone like a Mark Anthony Kay. He's, he's actually very capable of playing out from the back. If you drop Osorio deeper, you have another person. There are some adjustments that you can make to allow that to happen. I don't know if Bradley is going to make them, I do offer them in my article, which is you could do a few things. You could drop Michael Bradley a bit deeper and build up from a back three, push the center backs a bit wider out so that the actual decisions they have to make are less impactful than when they're closer to the center Mm -hmm. of the pitch. So that's one thing. It also moves Bradley back into a withdrawn role, so it's going to give him more time in the ball. He's going to be able to see more of the field opposed to when he's receiving the ball just a bit ahead of the uh, center backs in the center of the pitch in that sixth position that he's normally in. What it also does is if you pull him back, it means that someone else is going to have to invert inside, which is probably not going to be Richie just because we know how fantastic he is with close control and moving the ball down the flank. You could kind of invert Petretta. His technical ability, I trust him on the ball. He's a great technical player. He has the Italian bloodlines great on the ball mm-hmm. then that shifts uh mark anthony k over to the right sided deeper midfield position so what you're then creating are triangles over the field that it's allowing in the center you have bradley petretta and k as your focal points to get the ball out and to actually be the ones to progress the ball further up the pitch opposed to what you're seeing now which is reliant on the center backs and bradley as the as your key people and sometimes k mixed in there um but I am worried. I am very, very worried that this team is not going to be able to control games and will be on the back foot if they don't learn how to play out from the back against better So teams. then the, the question has to be asked, who is doing our recruiting? If, if because Bob's system is, is like, there's pretty much a textbook on it. Like I'm sure you can grab the PDF off Google if you were so inclined, right? So why did we recruit a fresh crop of center backs that can't play Bob's system doesn't I mean am I taking crazy pills like we there was no these these people are brand new like why them over somebody else and and I won't listen to well they were you know there was nobody else there's a lot of soccer players out there it just seems like we're taking 
you know, we're, we're sitting here celebrating how we've made defensive strides. But, you know, what you're saying to us is that it's at the expense of the, of the system that, that Bob most wants to play. Well, the person in charge of making the decisions is the same guy that's now suffering by those decisions. So what is happening, man? Like, I, you know. It, <sighs> it's, it's a good question. I, I do think, yeah. like, I think I've heard Mikey Singh talk about this a few times, is that roasted or rosted is supposedly known. So I haven't seen enough film of rosted to actually say, like, he's a good okay. ball progressor. And maybe once the structure is better around him, maybe we'll start to see a bit more of that. But the early season signs so far are that he can't play the ball from the back. Like oftentimes it's either him or Hedges sending kind of a longer ball, whether it's a ground pass or in the air, it's out of bounds. It's not controllable. It's a, it's a bono goal kick basically. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not a great pass. So I think that, that is a very valid question. Um, Sean Johnson, on the other hand, he's good at playing those short and medium pa- range passes. So you mm-hmm. do have some ingredients there. I think it'll take some time for the other ones to, to kind of shift and happen. Michael Bradley, I know a lot of people like to hate on him. Very good at ball recycling and pass accuracy. He's very secure in possession. One of the things that he lacks is that ball progression. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, if you don't have Michael Bradley there, who's going to be your disciplined defensive holding midfielder? I don't think Mark Anthony Kay can play that role. Not yet. Anyway. No, I don't either. I think I he likes either. to adventure forward a bit more so i think it does beg a question is do you start looking for someone in that position it goes back to your conversation that you guys had last week about Mm -hmm. the father-son dynamic and the shift will really become michael bradley still has a role to play in this team i actually like the idea of him as a substitute or rotating in that mark anthony k role thank you that allows him to play a little bit further up the pitch that is very similar Mm. arsenal reference again to granite jaka where you can actually limit the amount of mistakes and his pace it's not as needed in those transitional moments of play he can just pop up in the box for a late header for a kind of a kick or connecting in play he's better a little bit more advanced in the field so that holding midfield position someone who can play that lone six role completely press resistant can play nice long progressive passes and dribble out of pressure and also be mobile enough to break up play in a rest defense of five to allow more players to join the attack. That's going to be crucial for TFC. Yeah. And I think, look, not to harp on on what we talked about last week because it's been talked to death, I think, but Again, we we all recognize that Michael Bradley does really does not need to be playing ninety minutes every single week. He, like you said, he still has a role to play, a fairly big role to play. But I think that role does not have to be as the starting six every single time, playing every single minute, maybe only resting for ten an entire season. I just think that is too much, and I think you're right in a sense that. Uh, and I, I agree with you a bit on Mark Anthony K. I don't agree in some cases. I do actually think he can be that player because he was partly that player in LAFC. And I guess you're trying to wonder where that kind of went um, mm. in terms of that player. That said, in terms of Michael Bradley, I do believe that he would be effective at times coming off the bench and being like either a more forward midfielder or a midfielder who just you don't have to ask him to do as much other than to progress the ball a little bit, connect with players really well, because he does do a great job of getting a Bernadeschi, a Insigne, whoever your number nine is going to be, if you're going to make it Jonathan Sawyer as a false time, he gets them in 
the right positions at the right time. He's very good at playing that kind of ball. And I'm yeah. just wondering, again, if moving him up um, and not necessarily always as a starter is going to be a way. You tell him. Forward, <laughs> right? Because it just, it just I mean, mm-hmm. the evidence is all there, right? I don't want to be, I don't want to be. The it's not even, it's not even specific to Michael him. Bradley. Like what other 35 year olds still playing professional football in any league, regardless of name, is a day in day out starter that does maximum minutes. Like last season, what did he miss? 10 minutes. That's an outlier in global football, you know? So like, we're not well, messy. T- take Bradley it, out. Messy. <laughs> but, yeah, but in his true. position, right? I, yeah. Think, yeah. I think in his position, yeah. in his position. And then um, what was the other thing? I don't, you know, you guys are talking about platooning Bradders as an eight, and I'm just sitting here laughing because all I see him doing is muscle memory going right back into that six position, unable, because, like, that's all he yeah. knows. You know what I mean? So I think that would be a disaster. I think, like, I think we're, I think we, we give mm-hmm. it, we do him disservice because he's a smart footballer, right? Like, he's a very smart footballer. I've played listen, that position I, before, too. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going, I'm just going from my own personal opinion, which is. Fair. I've been driving for a very long time. You put me in a car in the UK, I'm going to die in the first 20 minutes because I'm going to change the radio and then immediately end up on the wrong side of the road, right? So I apply that kind of logic to a footballer the same way I would to a professional dancer or a circus performer or or a guy working at Tim Hortons that does the same thing over and over again, right? Like it's just muscle memory. So to me, I you know people are saying it on the on the on the thing you're you've now got a euphemism getting fung because we were all so positive but but i think these are important questions and again the article that he's written is an absolute corker and it, it like everything he's written what is the solution here is it like do you, are, do you like what we're doing this year or do you think that it's just too much throwing things at the wall to see what sticks still I'm okay with it i think i've learned from watching enough teams transition that this is just a natural stage in the transition process of Amazing. evolving to become what we need to be. What I'm nervous about is whether or not we can actually evolve there. So I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. And there are signs that if you can get the defensive structure right, that's always step one. But as you progress through each stage, you then got to look, do you actually have the right players to progress to that next stage? And that's when the questions are going to start being asked. My only problem, just to circle back to Mike's point with Mark Anthony mm-hmm. Kane, the sixth role, is before last match, Kay's passing, accuracy, and no, errors, and yeah. it was bad. It was yeah, very it was bad. bad. Yeah. No, if you have that from your six, you are asking for a world of pain. Because yeah. the yeah. mistakes that you're making in that position, as bad as Bradley is in terms of his mobility, his pace, he's very safe in possession. He rarely loses the ball in those dangerous areas of the field. He makes the right decision more often. Right, and, and and this is what I was talking about last season in terms of going out and finding a number six, right? My solution was find another six, right? Like find mm-hmm. somebody who could play that the role. Endless, the endless TFC problem. Hey, do you want to come and make decent money to ride the pine for Michael Bradley, who's going to start 99% of the games? I, you know, or do, like, or hey, homegrown, we're gonna we're gonna potentially uh, uh, have you inherit Michael Bradley's position. Are you okay with being nothing for the two seasons of your prime? Yeah, like, that was Cole Ralph Friso. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right? I, like, I, I'm like, listen, as much of a Noble Okello fan as I am, and I remain because if that kid could have figured out his feet, I mean, that physical profile, holy crap! I, like, you'd love to have that in your arsenal. 
I, I still think it's revisionist history and everybody's glossing over the deficiencies of the Prezios and the, and the Liam Frasers, you know, just, just to, just to tear another strip off Michael Bradley, but you know, it's a big problem. Like, no, I can't, let's get darling. Like, like the, the sixes that we would want to deputy for Bradley or potentially, you know, share 50, 50, we can't afford and aren't, they're not coming because they, they want to be the guy. Right. So, you know, we're kind of stuck in this position, but uh, I mean, I'm curious, Chris, and everyone's saying Quello. I don't think Quello is the answer at six. Maybe not yet. Uh, okay. That's the position he played at TFC too. So he absolutely could be your lone holding midfielder eventually, but I don't think I want to put that pressure on him yet. He's yeah. first season. He's he just got a first team deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, yeah. it might be a bit too soon. You might try it in like the Canadian championship. Maybe, maybe you mm-hmm. kind of take a risk there and you kind of Leagues see what cup. you have there. Leagues cup. Leagues mm-hmm. cup. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I do think you, you might want to find someone at least eventually. So if you're going to pay down a Soriel's contract to open up a space for a third DP, I know the hot topic is striker. And I think I've heard Mike Newell say it time and time again. You don't. Yeah, people are going to strike. People are going to fillet you if you suggest spending it on a six over over a nine. But it it doesn't necessarily have to be spent on a six. But if there's a way mm-hmm. to get a player, and I think I've mentioned him on this pod before, but someone on uh, Fiorentina who's always caught my eye is a uh, Giacomo Bonaventura. So if you look at him and the work that he does, he plays a hybrid six eight role, but he's a wonderful passer and his technical ability is incredible. He's also fast enough, like fast enough, not not like a sprinter by any means. Yeah, but at least yeah, like yeah. A, close to Mark Anthony K in terms of uh, pace that he can actually play that position and make everything work around him. So you have options. If it is a Bonaventure, like if you're if you're going to go, you might as well go all the way. I know it's another mm-hmm. player which a lot of people won't like, but if you're talking about win now, that's kind of the direction you need to look at a DP striker. Absolutely. Another option that you could go with to fix the attack. But mm-hmm. I do think that until you're sufficient at playing the ball out from the back, being press resistant and fixing your rest defense, it doesn't matter how often you get the ball. You just kick the ball up to your forwards. You stole my question. A number nine does not fix this team. We go out and we get uh, uh, Erling Haaland. It does not fix this team. Right. It, it just doesn't, you know, he, he may score boatloads of goals because it's Erling Haaland, but in terms of the structural deficiencies of the team, because I've been wrestling this, with this myself, I mean, I've said it many, many times, like what is wrong with our number nines? A pylon with feet should be getting in on those crosses. And then someone very rightly said on the, on the, the string, on the chat, what crosses? And I didn't have time to respond, well, they're not crossing anymore because there's no one there to get it, chicken, egg, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it, people are still calling out, we need a nine, we need a nine, we need a nine, we need a nine. And I'm taking from you that that doesn't solve anything and could be an albatross contract because we need to figure out that midfield. That's the next step. I, I think the midfield is the next step, but I think you do need a better nine. Like Akinola, Diamande. I don't know Diamande enough. Like I've seen mm-hmm. him so sparsely that it's hard for me to really judge if, if he's the Bob player. guy played well in Bob's system oh so long ago right right the older MLS etc Kerr he moving back to the wing he's he looks mm-hmm. better out there and more comfortable out there there's moments where he can link up play well but for the most part you're basically playing with 10 when either him or Akinola are on the field right. Akinola can sometimes make nice runs and get into space but too often he's kind of a passenger. He's still yeah. trying to figure out where his role is in the system. 
Um, Diamande, I've actually watched some LAFC film from back in the day. So what mm-hmm. he can do very well, and, and maybe we're going to see some of this once him and Insigne get healthy. I saw it in the LA Galaxy game. I don't know if you watched that preseason game, but there, even though the game, I don't think we won that game. It might've been a draw or we lost. I can't remember. Uh, I actually but, saw yeah. a bit of the Bob Bradley LAFC in TFC in that game. So if you go back and watch it, I don't know if the film's available, but you actually start to see what Bob Bradley loves to do in the buildup when he moves forward in attack. He loves to pull his striker or whoever's playing that nine role a little bit withdrawn. It's one quick pass to the nine, back mm-hmm. to the player who passed it to him, and that player sends it down into the channel really quickly. And so he spins off. And he spins yeah. off yeah. into the channel. Yeah. Yeah. So he yeah. got called yeah. offside on a goal that went in. Yeah, yeah. He was good. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, I mean, that's why I was like, I, bring the offsides. I like what's sure, happening here. And yeah. I'm pretty sure he was called offside in the opening game of the season. I'm pretty sure that Atlanta. Atlanta. He, he was an offside magnet. Yeah. Until until he went injured, he was he was average United, like, where he did the yeah, same yeah, yeah. He spun into the midfield. They played in the channel. He spun off. Mm-hmm. He might have been DC channel and yeah. got to he was just offside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, so that that build up play is what Bob Bradley loves. And the more midfield kind of those rotations and spinning that you can get from that set like striker pivot central position, which is why I suggested Osorio, that's where you're gonna start to see the attack gel a bit more. I think hmm. we do need an upgrade at nine. I don't think Osorio is a false nine is our long term solution, but it does get you your best eleven players on the pitch at once. Um, but I think Mike, you're right. Like you don't need a DP number nine necessarily, but if you don't fix the back, that six role, and, and maybe you're going to be able to find a six that isn't DP level. Great. Mm-hmm. I don't think, yeah. I, I don't think you necessarily, and, and sorry, we, you know, we'll, we'll get on to sort of the burning questions stuff in a sec. I think we've previewed Atlanta before, so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of skip. Yeah. That yeah, yeah. Um, it, I, I, I think you can find a deal. Like, look in MLS, Talk about quality all you like and whether you agree with if it's quality, if it's not quality, etc. There are a plethora of number sixes in this league that are fantastic in this league. And they're not DPs, right? Like you can find those players. They're out there, whether mm-hmm. they're domestic, quote unquote, meaning U.S., Canada, um, or if you're going to South America and finding those number sixes. I mean, um, you know, you, you just look at just look at Philly, right? Just look at the, the fact that they were find, able to find a player like Martinez and play in that in that six, and he can yeah. do all the things you just talked about, Chris, and not a DP, right? So that player is out there, and you don't necessarily need to spend a boatload of money to find that player. Now, look, if you can go get a Bonaventure and they wants to come and you have the money, sure, of course, like, why not? But Mm-hmm. I think there are better ways for this club to spend their money because every time we come into the season, we talk about how they're always in salary cap hell and how they have to find, make moves to get TAM money and try to buy mm-hmm. down contracts and things like that. Imagine because that you give a guy $15 million a season and you're out. Of well, money. I mean, look, <laughs> the cap hit is the cap hit, right? But like right. eventually, you know, ownership is kind of come back and say, look, the, the money we spend for the results we're getting is not there. We're cutting your budget, right? That's where you end up in a situation where, you need a number nine. You don't have any budget for to find one and you need maybe a six or you may need another. You need a depth midfielder and you don't have the budget to find them. Right. You mm. may have found a gem in Coelho, but that wasn't necessarily the plan. Right. It yeah. sort of fell into your lot, not necessarily developed that way. So it's just to me, that's the thing that frustrates me about TFC more than anything. Right. Is this sort of how we build a roster 
and how we build a roster to play we the way we want them to play. Because if you're if we and Jeff, you were kind of getting to this mm-hmm. square pegs and round holes, or more trying to put roundish pegs into round holes, but they're not quite you know round mm-hmm. enough. You need a right? Dremel like tool. Yeah, and exactly. Some sanding you know paper. that yeah, yeah. that's where you kind of land in this situation where we're in right now. And granted, again, seven games into a season, so I don't necessarily want to be slamming panic buttons. But it does go into our burning question here. Uh, I have two have. questions before yeah, we go. I also have one question for Mike. Okay, yeah, let, let me do mine. Let me do mine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think a six or a nine? What? Because there's so many factors, right? Like, you know, if you get a six from South America, it's a different style of football over there. And the team could be coached by a, by a Matthias Alameda or whatever. Do you like, like, I'm trying to figure out the right way to word this, but like, would you have more faith in all other things being equal, uh, a six that you recruited having a better chance of plugging into the system or a nine, all other things being equal? Um... Hmm. I'm just thinking. I would say a nine, just because logic suggests scoring goals is is a lot more universal than all the little piddly little things that a six has to do in systems. But if you're talking, we've seen it happen with nines, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, just can't adjust. That's what I was. So I think it's mm -hmm. a good question because you have to communicate a lot more as a six. Mm. If, if you're not speaking like fluid English or the same language of everyone else around you, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So that's the other thing. Um, and my second question, because I think you answered that very succinctly, is, is Bradley Ball too sophisticated for MLS in 2023? If we are having this much trouble finding the right parts, are we getting too big for our britches? This is MLS. The rebuild is taking many multiple transfer windows. We've had some misfires, right, that, that just happened. Like, you have to factor for that. Is this too sophisticated and too ambitious for MLS. We're in a win now mode. We've got to maximize the deals on our two Ferraris. Is this getting in the way? It seems kind of like it's getting in the way. It's galaxy braining what maybe should be a lot simpler. I I don't think so because it's worked for when he was at LAFC, right? Like he didn't win a title there, but Mm -hmm. the system works in this league. The difference is, is that I don't really know, and this goes back to my other question for Mike eventually, I don't really know what the relationship is between Bill Manning and, and Bob Bradley. Because I think Insigne and Bernadeschi, from what I've heard and learned, it's not that Bob wasn't a part of it, but I think if you gave him a clean slate to build a team, I don't know if either one of those players would have been part of his vision. Oh my God. We're going into... The, the only yeah. way, the reason I say that is because his LAFC teams worked because he handpicked every single person from that system. They were playing for him in that system. So I don't want to go there, but... Bring in the pain. Love it. Well, you opened the door, my friend. Yeah, you opened the door. door. That box. You opened the door. Close the box. Okay, Okay. but I I won't... uh, Yeah, no, I know where you're... I don't want to. I don't want to really open the door either, right? Because that just goes mm. into really big speculation time. But I think it is important to note that the signing of both Lorenzo Insigne and Federico Bernardeschi started well before Bob Bradley was hired as manager, right? Mm-hmm. Like the process to court these players was before they knew Bob Bradley was going to be manager. I think they had an idea that Bob could be manager, right? Because everybody knew as everyone in Toronto, yes, yeah, well, every like. All of us here were like, Bob Bradley. And of course, mm-hmm. everyone in the league knew his contract was coming up at LAFC and it was a good chance it, he wasn't going back. Right. So, again, you're 
we're speculating in that regard, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but in the end of the day, I agree. I, I don't know if you necessarily go out and get both those players, right? I don't know if they necessarily perfectly fit what you, I, what he ideally would want to do. Now he's a coach who's going to be like, look, look, if you ask me, are you giving me Federico, Federico Bernadeschi and Lorenzo Insigne fresh off a Euro championship and not, he probably takes them both and says, I'll figure out a way to work with them. Of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, again, the way that the roster has been constructed by TFC, this iteration that's now sort of it's Bob Bradley's team now, right? Like we can't, we can't blame Chris Armas anymore, right? All those guys are gone. I want to, I'm going to, but, right? but sure, so, sure. you know, and, and, and Ali Curtis is gone. So all those guys are all pretty much. That's gone. Manchester United's Chris Armas, by the way. Yes. Very, get very it right. But um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 you kind of get the sense that, some signings are being made by one person and other signings are being made by another. And, you know, TFC, if you know the history of this club, we've been here before. It hasn't yeah. gone well. Right. And, and nope. again, I'm not saying that's the case. We don't know, but you know, you can kind of figure, you know, who's a Bob Bradley player and, and, and guys who were signed and look, I'm not saying Lorenzo Insigne is not a fantastic footballer. He is a world-class footballer. No one is saying he's not. But, man, it does really feel like he was signed more to put butts in seats than necessarily to fit into TFC. Who's opening boxes now? My goodness. Right? I believe like, Chris has a question for you so we can stop inflaming the entire team. I'm going to stop there why. before yeah, I yeah. get One quick call. thing. Alex suggested if we had Bilotti, we'd be 8 no Bilotti's been terrible. Ro- I, yeah, been my Serie team, he's been terrible. I don't know what happened to him, but he he's snake bitten in front of goal. He hasn't been playing, so I don't know if yeah. he's the solution. Yeah. But no, he's not the solution. Mike, my question back to you is: you were talking about TFC can find a player that's not expensive. Do you trust them to do that? Because you've seen oh. evidence of the type of player they can bring in when it's not that big splash. It's like, even so, if it is, okay, so. Yes, I think they can. I think they have been successful in finding some of those players. Nick Deleon, Nico Hassler, like the the, right. the Subasa and those, those right? kind like, of role players, right? Mm-hmm. Th- those role players have actually been fairly good at finding these sort of free agents that either have been in the league 100%. or they have networks in Europe to find those Serve- players. Brendan Servania. Yeah, like, exactly, right? Yeah. It, my look, if you look at trends within major league soccer, the trend is South America, right? find those players, develop them a little bit more, get them into sort of a North American slash getting used to a European system, ship them off to Europe, right? That is the pipeline. I'm not saying TFC necessarily needs to replicate that because TFC sees itself as a big club and not necessarily a selling club, right? You'll sell its academy players. I don't think it necessarily is buying players to then sell them later. I think that's Mm -hmm. what happened with the whole Jefferson Soteldo situation, why I don't think it really worked out very well, because we don't have systems in place at the club to really nurture that yet. We just don't. We we haven't had it in the past, right? It's either we go big and sign big-name players that are known uh, or, you know, we're really finding sort of these reclamation projects from the league and we're bringing them into the squad and, you know, either they do work or sometimes they don't work. Do I, To answer your question, do I trust this team to do that at a number six position, go down to South America, find that player? Right now, the evidence is no, because they haven't done it. 
Um, I don't know how extensive the scouting is in that area for TFC in terms of South America. We, we just don't know. Mainly because it's not they have been the a best, focus. It, yeah. it just hasn't been a focus for TFC. TFC's focus yeah. when it signs their players outside of the league is Europe. And it goes to yep. Europe and it finds generally known quantity players. It doesn't matter. Like they could have the best salesperson in the world, but you're still going to this guy, this this magical South American number six and saying, we've got a great project. You're going to be riding the pine behind the 35-year-old captain until he decides to hang up his boots. Nobody knows. And he's got carte blanche at the club. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like the, we might be buy you a condo and you can go to Wonderland like for free one, one Thursday night, just on an even number Thursday. Like it's, it's, it's a tough sell, you know, like you just said it yourself. The trend is you bring these kids in, you know, you give them a meaningful minutes. You get them, you get lots of eyeballs. They're in the shop window. You grease the wheels for that European move. That doesn't happen when you're getting garbage minutes you know, and you're platooning for Michael Bradley. So, and there's what, 400 other MLS teams that can offer that position now that are all looking in the same places that don't have Michael Bradley standing in front of this guy. We're not getting that guy, right? Like it, it it's a, it's a reclamation project. It's, no, it's and the I same, you're, you know, it's the Bradley blessing and curse. We're lucky to have an Iron Man number six for as long as we've had him, but there's a counter, there's, there's consequences of that. And we're sort of dealing with those consequences right now. You know? Yeah, and, and look, I think it's this, and you said it earlier about a chicken and the egg kind of thing there, Jeff, with we keep saying, well, if you take Michael Bradley out, who's going to replace Michael Bradley? But you haven't signed anybody who could potentially replace him, right? Yeah, so it's, it's kind it's, of it's, like it's a catch twenty. It's an endless circle. Time is a flat circle. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, look, well, we could continue talking about this forever because that could be a whole podcast in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But let's wrap up the show, guys. Um, let's talk sure. a little bit about burning um, question. Burning question, and specifically just how the TFC fandom is feeling about these first seven games. Again, it's a sample size of the season so far. Uh, but just want to do that temper check. And the question we kind of just asked is like, look, how do you see TFC start to the season? Do you see it as a only one win in seven type of view? Or do you see it as a six games unbeaten? Because the team is unbeaten in six, right? Mm-hmm. One win and a draw. Okay. So, or, or sorry, um, one win and five draws. So, you know, how are people are feeling more positive or maybe I want to say negative, but more pessimistic about the start of the season. And it's interesting, the results that have, that sort of come in. Go. It's most people are feeling a little bit more pessimistic. That could be part of Twitter. So let's, let's put a little caveat on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But also uh, the comments are, are interesting because I feel like there is not as much doom and gloom as that poll suggests, right? I think people are talking a little bit about Chris, and you mentioned this before, that there is this, the team is progressing in some ways in terms of defensively. And I think that's the main comment that a lot of people are saying, like defensively, the the team is not leaking as many goals as they were last year. From From a defensive standpoint, they look a little bit more solid. But I think there is a recognition that there is something not quite right with the way that the team is playing an attack. Now, I think you broke it down much more succinctly and much more directly in terms of this, mm-hmm. this issue of playing out of the back and how this team is sort of setting itself up in these key moments, right? Starts of games coming out of half, the final 10 minutes of a match. Mm-hmm. But I think there is more optimism 
then there is actual pessimism. That said, I mean, the results are the results of the poll. And it's 57%, only one win in seven, and 42 uh, for six games unbeaten. I personally am a little bit more optimistic, I think. I 100% see what you're saying, Chris. Like, 100%. I see mm-hmm. it. I think we all see it in terms of just this team does not look fluid enough right now to really compete at a super high level right now. And at the moment is right now basically being able to to play. <laughs> uh, missing our best player hurts our time, of course. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. 100%. But I think, Chris, you, you said it, right? You got to get the ball to him, right? And we're even struggling to do that, right? We're even struggling to just build the ball out of the back to then get it to our best player. Mm-hmm. And 100%. that, I think, right now is where we're kind of stuck in the mire. And that, I think, it will be interesting to see over the next – sort of couple of weeks if the team can kind of pick up out of that. We're also opening Pandora's boxes today. So I'm going to open one in that poll and all of the responses. Nobody is talking about how front loaded our season is and that we don't really have the time to be doing this right now because we only have 10 games after league's cup to figure it out. We're not, we cannot pull a sounders. As I've said, this is going, you know, when the fandom was very late to the whole, oh my God, we've really dug ourselves into a hole last season. And I think the same thing is happening right now. You know, this measured progress is fine. And and I'm I'm equally as, as positive and, and as optimistic, but I got to bring in the chaos. And the chaos is, League's Cup is coming. We're breaking for a month. There may be injuries. There you know, all kinds of unforeseen circumstances to say nothing of the fact that a slow start in 2023 in MLS is not good. It's it's doubly not good than it ever has been before, you know. So for sure, I'll give you yeah. I'll give you two comments from here, and then Chris, I'll, I'll bring you in. Um, so Dinger here just says nine points for twenty one is a poor start. That's fair. I, I mean, I think that's yeah. a fair comment. I mean, right now they're I think eighth or ninth in the East, so in a playoff spot, like we're getting into the, the playoffs, play in, <laughs> play in. Sorry, I should say play in mm-hmm. spot. They're not in the playoff yeah. spot. Um, as it is right now, again, seven games is seven games. So you, you know, take out that as you will. But no, he is right. It's not necessarily the best start. Um, but then the response right under that is from Matt and just saying six games unbeaten. Just adding in Sydney back changes everything. He brings 0.75 direct goal contributions a game, not counting the space and chances he creates for others. That that would be enough for another three points in our season. I'm assuming he's saying that if he was healthy, uh, there yeah. will be more uh, better production from the nines slash he's talking about a new DP nine um, potentially coming in and the team just gelling a little bit more. So I think that that's a good sense of how some people are thinking about this, right? It's nine points from 21. Not a great, not the greatest start that you want to have, but at the same time, you can kind of see, you know, if you can get some pieces healthy, this team might be able to progress. Chris, why don't, you, why don't you jump in? I, I would have chosen an option in between the two. So mm. it was almost like you kind of chose like black and white options. Like there's mm. one or the other. Well, we got a lot of it's, black and white. It's, in here. It, it's probably somewhere in between. It's, yeah. it's not the worst. We're only seven mm. games in. But at the same time, I kind of look at the team from how many times have we lost from a losing position or sorry, from yeah. a winning position. From right? a winning position, yeah. So yeah. DC United, that's one game. Charlotte, another one. Um, was there another one in there? We've lost pretty much almost Columbus? every game that we've scored in um, that we did not win. 
we have mm-hmm. lost points for winning positions. Yeah. So, Aside from Miami, right? Miami won, but every other game we've lost, we've lost the game or lost the game or well, drawn the game. Or from winning, split uh, the from, points. Yeah. Yeah. Split the points from that winning position. So what has Bob Bradley done? Overcorrection. Mm-hmm. fix the defense, make sure we can hold on to those leads. So hopefully that can stay, but he's going to have to find that balance of being able to be expansive and holding on to leads and adjusting the team tactics so that when you're so in a situation well to close out a game, you move into a back three or a back five. I know people don't like it, but if you put in a Lucas McNaughton in there, mm-hmm. it's going to help Rostin and Hedges. It's going to help yep. everyone else to close out. Game it's management. Pretty, right? Game management, yep. managing the big moments Talked in the game. Talked about in the first podcast. Of right, the yeah, yeah. So yeah. that, but I think the other piece of it is, yes, Insigne will help. He's not a, an elixir, a magical elixir, but he will help just because naturally he's going to open up space. He's going to help your build up. He's another goal scoring threat. And mm-hmm. when you don't have your big prize DP signing, it's going to be a lot harder for everyone else to compensate for that. We don't 100%. have the depth. The other thing going against us, not just the pack schedule, Jeff, is that mm-hmm. we're going to have a gold cup coming up in nations league. Oh yeah. Right. right? So we're going to lose five plus players again. How are we going to adapt? We did okay in San Jose. We got a nil, nil draw that I was shocked by. But mm-hmm. you know what? Like, how are we going to manage those next? I don't know if it's two or three games that our yeah. different players are going to miss, right? So I think those are some things to consider that we need to start picking up some points. I think we're yeah. only one win away from moving up to like six, though. Yes. So I think there's still hope, but it does need to start shifting. If if you see the con- like a continued trend of drawing games over and over and over again, three, four games more of this you might start teetering into a bit of a danger zone of wondering, can TFC escape this kind of term, not even turmoil. It's just mediocrity. Well, that mm. that's what I said last week. It's team's yeah. kind of mid, right? Like it's just a mid team yeah. right now. It, it's kind of, it, it's not horrible. It's not last year, um, mm-hmm. but it's also not progressed the way some people would have thought. Um, yeah. And yeah. look, this is, this is still early and it's still trying to, to build the team. But Jeff, you do make a very good point, right? A lot of these points are going to be available from now until essentially the start of League Cup, League's Cup. And really from now to the Gold Cup, essentially is going to be kind yeah. of the big run-in, right? And and that is that is going to be, in a lot of ways, by the Gold Cup, you're going to kind of know what this team really is going to be this season. You're kind of going to know so, yeah. where this team is going to be, whether it's going to be really starting to find a way to challenge or if it's going to be kind of, punching to try to get into a play in spot. Um, And, and will the fan base be okay with that? You know, (laughs) who knows, who knows, but we'll be here to to talk all about it. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, let's wrap it up uh, for today. Thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Toronto till I die. We will be back next Monday evening, recapping uh, aforementioned uh, home match against Atlanta this weekend. Want to thank Chris Fung for jumping. Oh my God. Amazing. Amazing. Such a pleasure. Always, 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 always. Absolutely. I think, I think the listeners yeah, well, look, I think the listeners really enjoy the tactical sort of uh, expertise uh, that comes in when you when you bring it in. And that sort of clarifies a lot of things for a lot of people. Mm. I think it just articulates a really well how a lot of people are feeling. I think they see it and feel it. It's just now you can like sort of articulate it. Check out his article on Waking the Red uh, through Canadian uh, Soccer Daily. Um, that's where the I think that's where the article is now being posted. As right? a so stopgap until until, until it goes. So you exactly. You, you may, yeah, yeah. Just look out for it. 
follow yeah, all our Twitters. You'll know. You'll know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely read his work. It is fantastic stuff. Um, a big favor to the listeners of the podcast. Do us a solid. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars on Spotify. You guys have been doing that. Thank you so much. It helps people find the show. And just a quick anecdote on that. Um, you know, in terms of actually like doing that, it's actually helping us move up in terms of rankings on podcasts, which is cr- incredible to for us. Like last week, we were like number six in the country for soccer podcasts. Uh, and we're just one podcast talking about one team and the podcasts above us are all bigger podcast with massive that talk about and, arsenal yes and, and, yeah right and uh and you know obviously <laughs> have big budgets so we really appreciate you guys doing that it is really helping um from that perspective uh so for jeffrey p nesker for chris fun i'm mike newell we'll see you all next week cheers everybody and wait and wait and baby i'm tfc till i die